Hey, Rockheads. This is Music to Code by Track 12. Check this out. Oh, yeah. Just what you need to get in the zone when you write code. And get this. We just added a site license. Download it once, share it with everybody in your office. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. Net Rocks, episode 1292, with guest Damian Brady. Recorded Wednesday, April 20th, 2016. Welcome back to Net Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we're still in Orlando. Uh, you know, we're recording four shows here. We're in Richard's uh, room. Yeah, so as as it is, one of the upsides to being a conference owner, yeah, is you get the nice room. So we've yeah. got a living room. We've, yep. We're sitting around comfy chairs. Still, I wish I could bring my uh, isolation booth with me because we had to delay the start of this by a few minutes because there was a cart with a squeaky wheel yeah. right outside squeaky the wheel, door. Lawn mowers, oh, yeah. you know, kids screaming. <laughs> Uh, it is the happiest place on earth. It is the happiest all. place on earth. Yes, and and uh, and the occasional housekeeper who can't read a "Do Not Disturb" sign. <laughs> <laughs> Housekeeping, <laughs> go away. Okay, go away. Uh, okay, better know framework time. Roll it. Awesome. <laughs> Buddy, what do you got? What I got is ScanR. ScanR.xyz. This is a website, or you can go to 1292.pwop.me. But ScanR.xyz. That's an interesting suffix. Yes, it is. Yeah. But it's interesting. It's OCR as a service. Oh, wow. So, so you, you, send send it in, doc, you send it an image, it gives you back a document? Yeah, you send an image, it gives you back text. But it's cooler than that, right? So let me read it to you. It's a simple OCR API service that supports 32 languages and can extract text from images or PDF files, real-time image to text. And of course, real-time is relative, but yeah, yeah, pretty damn fast. Fast enough. Post us your image and get a response with the text inside. No need to manage servers or infrastructure. Simply call our API and get the text inside any image. Oh, and ScanR is free for the first 100 calls every month. Pay as you go afterwards. Neat. Which I love that service model. I keep saying that over and over again. Yeah. You can use it for free, and as soon as you're doing a lot that indicates that you might be making money from it, yeah, eh, give us a little piece of that. Sure. I love that model. And 100 is enough to do testing. It's enough to of do course. a lot of things, right? Yeah. That's really cool. What I like about this is that it will read signs, you know, it will read, I don't know if it'll read license plates. That'd be interesting to see, because those aren't really text, language text. That's just character yeah, recognition. Yeah, you could actually just parse the characters out, but I didn't, you're thinking in ways I didn't even think. Immediately when you say OCR, I think page yeah, of I've text got a document a, picture, a, a photograph a scanned form or something yeah. like that yeah but just to throw up a sign throw right. up a whatever that is uh, as a picture and say mm-hmm. can you read any text off of this yep that's cool yep. what's the phone number on the pizza box there you go that kind yeah. of thing yeah pick nice. that stuff out that's really so, cool man yeah scan r.xyz or 1292.pwop.me everything's a service Who's talking to us, buddy? Uh, grabbed a comment off of show 1275, the one we did in late March with Robert Schaefer. We talked about MS Deploy. Right. Uh, and, you know, we've just had a lot of conversations about automating deployment and mm-hmm. different tooling and so forth. Yep. And, you know, one of the topics that always comes up in that is the database side of things, oh, yeah. right? And uh, Paul Pulger had this comment. He said, great show. On the database projects, one way that it's worked in my company to make people use the SQL project is to put source control in the middle. Mm. 
So on one side, you have the person's change. And on the other side, you have the format approved UAT target environment, which would be test or staging or production. And therefore, if you want your stuff on the server, you need to go and check it into source control. Right. You make any changes you want, knock yourself out. Don't take any way anybody's rights. Just know when we deploy, everything's going to get overwritten. Right. For this environment, there are no manual or direct changes because they'll just get wiped out. We do the job of automated database deployments with SQL package.exe, mm-hmm. which is focused on database deployments only. So this, I think, is part of the whole MS deploy thing, but it's specifically this executable for doing SQL package deployments. Yeah. Uh, uh, SQL package, along with PowerShell, is a great combination that worked for us. Uh, on the other hand, MS Deploy is going to fill in a big gap that we have in deploying web applications. So thanks so much for this show. I really enjoyed it. Great. So he already, this is cool that he yeah. was, he had already done all this automation on the SQL side. And then along, we come talking about MS Deploy and he's like, Oh yeah, I guess I could do that for the website as well. Yeah. So great. In some ways, Paul, I think you took on the harder problem that yeah, right. we're all struggling with. So yeah. that's cool. Database. I'm, it almost makes me think, uh, actually, um, Rob Schieffer commented on, uh, Paul's, uh, comment as well saying he that he thinks that the db dac which was the tool he was talking about for doing database deployment uses sql package under the hood oh wow so they're all related tools and again we get back to we just don't have good documentation for yeah, much right. of this stuff that people are confused as to how these pieces go together right uh regardless of that paul thank you so much for your comment dotnet rocks mug is on its way to you and if you'd like a dotnet rocks mug write a comment on the website at dotnet rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to facebook and google plus and if you comment there and we read it on the show we'll send you a mug and definitely follow us on on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet any old time. We pop them like Tic Tacs. All right. Now let's talk to Damian Brady. He's a Microsoft MVP in Visual Studio and Developer Technologies and works as a solution architect for Octopus Deploy in Australia. He's a regular speaker at conferences in Australia and around the world and spends most of his time helping people succeed with their software development efforts. A noble cause. Welcome, Damien. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. Ah, you're welcome. So you got to listen to the show we did on Octopus before with Paul then? I did. I listened to it when it came out, but I, uh, I refreshed my memory more to find out where we were at that point and where we are now. It's been a couple of years. It's good to have that reference because so much has changed. We were talking to you out, you know, at, a, at an event, but so much has changed since we last talked. Yeah, so I think when you spoke to Paul, it was about mid twenty fourteen. I've lost. I've watched the show again, or listened to the show again. It was show one thousand and two, so that probably gives you an idea. Yeah, yep. yeah. Um, and yeah, at that point, I think I worked out we were at about Octopus two point five, and now we're at three point three point six or seven or something. They've probably released a couple of versions since I've been here. So. One thing that I... Because you've been here a week. I've been here a week. There's been a couple of versions since. So, I went looking at your blog and one thing that I thought was brilliant was that you actually update Octopus with Octopus. We do. And we've actually had that question, yeah. (laughs) We've had that question a few times at Dev Intersection. It it seems like a test. Yeah, right. Are you guys using Octopus to deploy Octopus? We we do, yeah. um, Not just Octopus, but obviously, you know, the website and uh, all of the surrounding tasks as well. But The way you do it is kind of interesting. Instead of updating Octopus and then going out to each tentacle and having uh, having to manage that, you go from the tentacles in, right? With the uh, Hydra. With Hydra. So, Hydra was actually a tool that we did to to move um, from 2.x to 3.x. Yeah. And part of the reason for that is we changed a lot of things with 3.0. So, mm. um, the move from 2.x to 3.x was a much, much bigger move than than some of the minor version releases. Mm-hmm. Um, we did some things like we, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, but we did some things like move from Raven to SQL Server. Okay. Um, we completely gutted the tentacle agent itself um, and tore it into two pieces. There's a really lightweight agent that runs and that's the tentacle. And then we open sourced the actual um, part that does the deployment stuff and that's called Calamari. And that's, um, yeah. <laughs> we, you, you, know how, you know how they say the hardest thing about IT is, um, is naming, naming things, but yeah, we, we have great fun with that. So, so, wait a minute. Is there a tool called Aeoli? Aeoli, no, but I'm writing that down because that will come up, I'm sure. Chili pepper aeoli. Yeah, you know. That's right. Yeah, no kidding. Wow. So, alongside the... Uh, 
that change. We also completely rewrote the communications um, protocol between okay. the Octopus server and the tentacle. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result of doing that, it meant that our normal updates of the tentacle couldn't occur the way that they did before. Hmm. So, you you know, you change your communication mechanism and suddenly the, you know, the server is talking a different language than the client. Right. right? And that necessitated a tool called Hydra. And yeah. so, Hydra, again, with the naming, it's the, you know, you chop off the head and then it, it grows back. back. So, and that's what you're doing. You're, you're, you're shutting down the tentacle, upgrading it, and then bringing it back up. It's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So, a lot of the stuff that went into Hydra for that update is now in the product. And that's a... It's kind of an automatic update of the tentacle. When we update the server, yeah. we can just push those changes out to the tentacle as well. There's just a ton of stuff on GitHub. On Octopus Deploy? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we've, we've kind of made the decision, I think, a little while ago that anything that's not core or anything that people might want to change themselves, we've mm. open sourced it. Mm. Um, and... Even so, for example, the library as well, that's been open source for a while. And mm-hmm. the way that the way that the community can contribute library steps, so um, things that they've done that they think might be useful for other people, is they submit a PR um, and we merge it into the library repo and then again automated deployment that just appears on the on the library when we right. when we accept that PR. Wow. Pull request. Acronym police. Oh, <laughs> sorry. And, no and to be clear, like the community edition of Octopus Deploy is completely free. Mm. It's you, you run it under a trial license, but you can renew it indefinitely. Yeah. So we have a, it's a 45 day trial. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of have a process where if, if that 40 day, 45 days is not long enough to do what you wanted to do, then email us and we'll change that number and make it, you know, extend it. Right. But, um, with that license, it falls back to, um, the community edition, which is free for five users, five projects, and 10 deployment targets. Again, okay. it's this whole start out small for free. Yep. And then when you're actually using it and hopefully making some money, give us a little bit well, of Well, those that. numbers remind me of TFS as a service. So I think that's a five user free license as well. Yeah. It is, yeah. They, they, it's a reasonable number. A small team can do what they need to do. Mm. But when you get to a certain size, I mean, there should be some money involved. Right. It's good as well for even the larger companies who might want to move their entire enterprise to something like Octopus. It's good for a team to do a proof of concept right. for one of their applications. Without having to go through a PO process or anything at first. Absolutely, yeah. So, I don't know which question to ask first. Um, <laughs> what, what are all the new features or why Raven to SQL? But maybe we should start there. Why Raven to SQL? Yeah, what's so, in, what about Raven didn't work for you? Um, I, I, I need to be very diplomatic here, I think. So, there was actually... Andy is downstairs. Yeah, sure. Are, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Uh, it, there isn't one tool for one size fits all. I'm I mean, you, there's yeah. got to be a reason. Yeah. So, so one, of the, one of the really good things. So, um, if you know the, the history of Octopus, just before we released 1.0, and I say we, but it was Paul Stavell by himself at that point. Yeah. Just before 1.0 dropped, we actually moved from SQL to Raven. And part of the reason behind that, it was the the cycle time of writing features. Mm. And Raven's fantastic for making changes really quickly. Right. Um, there's none of this changing schema and um, all of the difficulties that you were talking about with the database upgrades. Sure. Yeah. You can just change the change the objects as as they as they go. Um, but part of the reason we wanted to go back to SQL Server, uh, there were a few different things, but it was mainly driven by support. Oh. Um, we were getting a lot of support requests, and by a lot, I mean a handful, enough to take notice of, um, of things going wrong at scale with Raven. So, there's a few things that Raven depends on. Um, Ecent, I think, under under the covers. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not hugely familiar with how that all works, but um, it was not storing some indexes, and there was some index corruption that was going on at scale and things like that. Mm. And it wasn't that... Um, this was a failing in Raven necessarily. A lot of this was right. was our fault. I mean, the, all of it's documented, mm-hmm. but it's a difficult thing to make sure that you've covered every every single case. So, Raven's quite opinionated in some things like um, they say it's safe by default, which is fantastic. It means yeah. that it avoids unbounded queries. So, right. I would like every project deployment that's happened. So, rather than suddenly being locked up, sending back, you know, three and a half million records, it will stop at a particular point. Um, and you can get around that, but you need to know that you have to get around that. Right. So, so, what we were getting is we were testing it thoroughly internally, but some of the um, customers were saying, I just added my 149th deployment and it just doesn't appear on hmm. the screen now. Right. And that's where we would realize, oh, this is a yeah. thing that we didn't 
didn't know. Your customers yeah. were char- char- test- were testing at a larger scale than you were. Absolutely. So you yeah. were finding some surprises there. I mean, um, the other thing about SQL Server now is the 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 base editions are clearly free. Like I think Microsoft's cleaned up their licensing. The footprint's simpler, and you can scale it to an enterprise class product if you want. You know it's out there. It's just priced accordingly. Well, right? what about Azure SQL? So yeah, we do support Azure SQL, um, and we are. In the process of um, putting Octopus in the Azure marketplace as well, oh, and, and it backs onto Azure SQL. So, we've been asked a lot about a hosted uh, Octopus, and there are a couple of problems with that. One is the networking infrastructure, because mm. it's very difficult to, to have something running on Azure that you just know is going to be able to talk to your on-prem production web server. Yeah. It's a difficult problem. The other one is um, running, essentially, we'd be letting people run um, arbitrary PowerShell under a relative administrator account Not in a hosted good. environment. No. So, this is kind of our solution to it. Um, one click, I would like an Octopus, please, under my Azure subscription, and it will spin up all the resources that you need. And it uses um, Azure SQL for that as well. Great. Neat. That's but great. It, but it also runs within that owner's security context. So exactly. You're not trying yeah. to make it as a service so much as you're saying you could add it to your services. This is uh, really fortuitous because I just met with a customer a couple of weeks ago who has this uh, on-prem solution that they, he said, we really need to find a, a way to just, when we get a customer, push one button and have that stuff all up and running. And I said, well, you need Octopus. And he's like, what's that? So, um, funny that, you know, this is exactly what, what we need. And, and the on-prem stuff includes web, it includes SQL, it includes, uh, many different services mm-hmm. and it's all getting moved to Azure. And uh, uses a multi-tenant database, yep. and uh, it's just a matter of spinning up that new stuff and uh, getting it down to one button. The the move to Azure is interesting as well, um, mm. and that's kind of one of the things that Octopus does quite well. Is you have your deployment process, and it might be, you know, a web application, a few web API services, a database upgrade, you know, mm-hmm. all of these different steps to deploy your application as a whole. Right. But you want to move your web application to Azure. Yeah. So rather than picking everything up and rewriting the entire deployment process, right. that's the one step that you just need to change. Right. So, once you move to Azure, the one step that deployed your website to an IS server on-prem can now change to deploy it to an Azure website. Right. And the rest can stay stay the way it was. Well, fortunately, it's all happening at the same time. It's all going in the cloud, and the deployment scenario is all cloud-based as well. So, Perfect. Azure websites looks a lot like IIS. It's not entirely the same. It's, you still have to have code that will run in Azure websites. Mm. Like if you're planning on writing on the disk, if you're planning to modify the registry, I got some bad news for you. Yeah. Uh, but that's fine. You know, normal website things is not a big deal. That right. pretty much is straight up portable. It's just, I, I'm dealing with enough people now that are just, oh, I'll just lift and shift. It's yeah. like, hey, you know, there's some there's, things. There's some things. There's some it's things. not bad, you know. But we, I do like it. I do like, yeah, we've absolutely, you know, I really like what's happened with, with Pwop, yeah. with our shows where we started with the VM that used to run on a, ser- a dedicated server yeah. somewhere, push that up to Azure VM. And then we've just been over time peeling things out of that. Just over time. Yeah. We, we started with just a, a folder for images and then we went to blob storage right. and. You know, and, just and the, peeling each of the, you know, was a shared IIS instance in the VM, and now each of the individual websites has been spun off as its own Azure website. Yeah. And along the way, we've seen exactly the truth of the cloud, which is that VM is crankier than each individual oh, yeah. website. Oh, yeah. You know, if something's going to burp, it's going to be the VM. Not to mention the fact that when you get a VM, you usually start small, and that means a small system drive. Yeah. And guess what? That thing fills up fast. <laughs> I've done just about everything I can to get squeeze the last gig out of drive C. Yep. And it's all going away very, very soon. Yeah, bit by bit. But I, I, I just don't like big bang deployments. I like gradual deployments. I like that we've been able to do it piece by yeah. piece when we had time, sure. when it was a problem, you know, those kinds of things. I, I think that's what mature deployment looks like. Absolutely. Yeah, the smaller the pieces are, the, the less time they spend you know, in inventory. One of the, the um, sessions you had a little while ago with Jeff Palermo, he, yeah, he made yeah. that point that, right. um, you know, code that is not in production is essentially, you know, inventory and inventory is waste. So, if you can push out one change or make one change very quick, very quickly yeah. and be um, confident that that's going to work, yes, um, it means that you can move faster and you can react, react a lot faster. Things are less dangerous. 
But it, this still comes back down to really, truly automated deployment. One button click, end to end, pick up the source code, figure out the entire package, push it up to a site that, for testing so that you can, you know, t- take a look at it and have some confidence in it before you move it to production. Yeah, absolutely. Um, some of the, some of the talks that I've been doing at, at different, um, conferences and you mentioned you will be at NDC Oslo a little yeah. bit later. Mm-hmm. So the talk I'm doing there is a little bit of, bit, a little bit of a clickbait title, but it's, um, deploying, deploying straight to production. Um, oh. The idea. Yeah, done, yeah, done, done. What's wrong with that? That's a little clickbait. So it is a little bit clickbait. So yeah. um, straight to production, meaning you know, go through all of your gates and make sure that you know it's safe to go to production. Right. But, um, that the production deployment, like pushing it all the way to production in an automated way, shouldn't necessarily be a, a scary, dangerous thing. Like the more you do it, the more the safer you know, the thing. Yeah. Well, again, and production is still an interesting question too, especially in this cloud world where right. it's like, yes, I've created a new instances of all of the things that represent this website. The DNS isn't pointed there, right. but it's, it's in production. It's tied to a different URL than yeah. everybody else that's, is clicking. That's all on. it is. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, but this idea, this is the whole cattle versus pets thing, right? Mm-hmm. Is once, yeah, okay, in theory it went to test, but it's running in the same environment as the production site. And how will it actually become the production site? When I change the DNS entries. Like that's all that happens is like, and now there. <laughs> and the other one and the other machine's like, where'd all my traffic go? I got worse news for you. <laughs> bang, 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 bang. Everybody dies. <laughs> you have a way with words, my friend. <laughs> Um, so, um, let's talk about the new stuff. And I, I gotta imagine integrations are sort of like key to you guys. Cause you have the, the IT guys out there and the DBAs who use like, for example, uh, Redgate's great tools for migrating databases and things like that. And how I would love to just put that in a, a deployment script. Tell me, tell us about what's new. Well, that's interesting. You can put that in your deployment script. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Redgate and Octopus have quite a close relationship, actually. Yeah. Um, that's what we call a meatball, son. <laughs> <laughs> and go, go, right. So yes, we can do it. <laughs> it's really easy. Um, we worked terribly hard. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, um, I mentioned the community library before. Um, there are Redgate tools that, or Redgate deployment steps that mm. the Redgate team has written and and contributed to the library. Nice. Yeah. So all of their DLM tools that they've been um, talking about a lot lately, uh, those have steps in the library that you Acronym can just police, add. DLM, a database lifecycle management, database lifecycle management okay. for the American. Listeners, database, um, database, database, database. Okay, yeah. database um, sounds more civilized. So they those um, tasks can be added just to your deployment process. Yeah, um, which makes those things really easy. But we're not we're not prescriptive about how you should do your database deployments. Yeah. It's I've even changed to saying database. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's contagious. <laughs> if, if, if you want to do just SQL migration scripts, so entity framework migrations is one of the things in the, in the library sure. as well. Absolutely. Um, tools like DB up or um, other ones that basically use migration scripts to say, I'm at, you know, script number 25, I need to get to 28. So mm. let's run the missing ones. Yeah. Those are all um, those are all options that you can do as well. Essentially, anything you can script, you can do. It's just that people have done those scripts before, and it means that you can choose their library package and just add that into your into your deployment process. So this speaks to this idea of I, you don't have to go to a hundred percent. We're using Octopus Deploy now. Everything is different, mm. but the you, you've already got pieces of what could be automated in this. Like yeah. you've got a good uh, database management strategy. Exactly. Yes. Look, I mean, it, it, over and over again, when we talk about automated deployment, the database comes up as the, the problem child. And and it is. <laughs> that's that makes it sound very bad. But um, the the difficulty with the database is that once you make a change, if you write data after that point, then you can't go back. Go, like, or, or going back is hard. Going back is hard. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and so what we often say is rolling forward is much much easier. And yeah. if you can roll forward a previous version. Great, but usually your deployment scripts and your your change scripts for your database don't have the ability to roll an old set of scripts over the top of the new ones. Right. Yeah. Unless it's you know stored procedure changes or something like that. But yeah, if you're sure. changing a schema, then it's yeah. a difficult thing to do. One of the 
one of the things I talk about as well is the idea of transitional deployments. So, mm -hmm. being aware that the database is a thing that you need to be careful of. And rather than, let's say, splitting the a person's name in your table into first name, last name, yeah, you want to keep the existing column there and add two more columns for first name, last name, parse things across, make sure you have both of them running at the same time until you're confident that that change is working. And then your next deployment, maybe you can kill that that redundant the old column right yeah and we've and we've had conversations about that like you do a prep on the database it adds the new columns and so forth mm -hmm. and then you do a deploy that depends on those new columns mm -hmm. and then you do a postscript that cleans up the old columns mm. correct yeah uh, i mean r rule number one is it, is you know don't break things so you know don't change columns the hippocratic oath yeah. of the dba <laughs> yes <laughs> do no harm. Do no harm. And in the end, more data is good. Yeah. Right? right. So it's like, there's really no incentive to remove the old column. There's plenty of disincentive when, when in the end, the larger the database is sort of the more valuable you are kind of thing combined with, I only ever get yelled at when I break things <laughs> means, you know, you could, and disk space is cheap, right? That's right. So <laughs> it's like, I suspect that column's going to hang around a long time. Yeah. You, you can just throw money at that problem. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah just a bit more storage. That uh, it it's interesting when you reflect that in the programming of yeah you know we're going to continue to write to the old column and the new columns just for safety's sake yeah that's right and it's all about being aware of what that change yeah. involves yeah. and um, a lot of the time especially with DevOps being the kind of um, term de jour I suppose yeah. yeah it's it's become a bit of a, oh, what's the DevOps tool? Can we please buy a DevOps, please? The DevOps tool, yeah. Okay. yeah. That's right. Does it have DevOps? Does yes. it have it? Yeah. Because we is, like that. That's right. <laughs> and there is no silver bullet. So, yeah. you, even if you it do- It comes in a squirt bottle. You spray it on the developers and they suck less. <laughs> this right. joke never gets old. No, it's always true. We just change the word, right? right. Oh, I'm going to go get some internet. Some agile. That's it. Oh, I got some agile in a squirt bottle. Squirt some agile on those developers. <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> I was listening to a talk by, um, uh, who was it? It was Dave Thomas at Yao in, oh, a, yeah. in Australia, um, the, the Agile Manifesto yep. guy, or actually the, the Manifesto for Agile Software Development. And he was lamenting the fact that in that Manifesto for Agile Software Development, Agile is an adjective. It's yeah. Agile Software Development. Right. But it's changed into a noun, changed, right? Yeah, because you can't sell an adjective. You can sell a, you can sell agile. That's a noun. <laughs> that is a great point. Wow, right? you have and to sell nouns. That was. I really you wanted can't him to stop. sell an adjective. Yeah. I, that's brilliant. Yeah, I love it. I really wanted him to stop talking for a couple of minutes just so I could bask in that. Uh, I mean, the sheer that's awesome that's of exactly that what I'm going through right yeah. now, man. <laughs> and it's a similar thing with DevOps. I mean, DevOps isn't, isn't an adjective, so you can't really make the sure the thing. But it's a it's a case of well, people are now selling DevOps as a thing, and it's yeah, sure. it's not necessarily a thing. You can have the best tools in the world and still do it wrong. Oh yeah, it's almost like a. a a standard, like, do, you know, do you, what version of DevOps do you guys support? <laughs> exactly. Right. DevOps 2.5. Oh, we're 2.4. That's not going to no, work. Sucks. It's bad things we have. <laughs> you know, we've had this conversation about when is agile just going to become software development? It's like, turns out it always was. And there's also the same point of when does DevOps become software development? It's just the, I think DevOps just reflects the reality of this new world where things are in the cloud and developers have to do more infrastructure and IT people are afraid for their jobs and, and well, they, need, they to need to be part of that process. And they need to be part of the process, right? Uh, the line I use in my DevOps talk is, you know, I used to have a thing called a good team. Apparently now I have DevOps. <laughs> <laughs> if we were making high performance websites during the dot com boom, yeah. right? There were no, it was the same problem. The guys running the system and the guys building the system needed to talk to each other. Right. You know, there was no voodoo there. And when they did, you had a good team. So now we've, we've given it a new label. We've called it a practice and still people try to buy, buy DevOps in a box. That's right. It, and it's just a, an awareness as a developer, your code does not exist in a vacuum. And right. as an ops guy, you can't, you know, your, your machine isn't there just to serve its own purposes. It's there to serve software. Yeah. Yeah. And your measure of success is not deployment. You don't have a party after you ship. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes. There's a, there's a bigger thing going on here. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is. Oh, it must be that happy time again. It's time to quote the Raven. Oh. Nevermore. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'll pass that along to uh, sorry, to Andy. Or in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just, you know, it's just a joke. Relax, it's a joke. people. It's a joke. Relax. Please don't hurt me. He's Ed, a very Ed, large man. Edgar Allan Poe wrote it. I didn't. Okay. okay? Uh, it's actually time to give away a D Experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. Awesome, dude. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is David Salter. Congratulations, David. Golf clap for you, sir. Uh, uh, an Orlando golf clap Very for nice. you. Yes. <laughs> uh, Richard and I just came in from the back nine, and uh, we're going <laughs> to be sipping our g- gimlets and <laughs> lovely. Gin and tonic? Yeah, gin and tonic. Uh, and if you don't know what we just did, we gave away a D experience subscription to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club, and we do this every week. So go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big get free stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club, but you do have to sign up to win. And we also like to ask our guest, Damien, if you had five grand to spend on technology today, what would you be buying? I did some thinking about this. I'm a bit of a gadget guy. Really? No. Yeah. I, d- I wouldn't. <laughs> That's so strange. You got a watch on each uh, yeah. wrist. and a Fitbit, Fitbit on one arm and a, and a watch on the other arm. Um, <laughs> so, I thought about a, a Microsoft band, but I've run out of arms. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, maybe you need eight arms. Get it? Get yeah. it? Uh, ooh, yeah. Octopus <laughs> jokes. Done, done, hey. done. I, I will admit to something I have never admitted to on the show before, which is many years ago, I used to wear a watch on both, both arms, and I got tired of people saying, why do you wear two watches? So, I put one around an ankle. <laughs> and they go, why what? do you wear two watches? He because I don't. Like, what do you mean? And I pull up my pant leg and go, I wear three. <laughs> <laughs> what? It was the obvious answer for me. All right. Anyway, so you oh, must sorry, have yes, thought so something about the gadgets that you I, would like to buy. I did. So, um, we were in, uh, we were at Build and Paul um, Stavell was there and he went into a Microsoft store to buy a mouse mm-hmm. and walked out with two Surface Books. Close, <laughs> like like a mouse, but different. Like a mouse. Well, and a mouse. Um, it was the, the ultimate upsell, and he's been using that around the office. And yeah. I, I love the look of those things. They're yeah. they're amazing. I've got one right here. Uh, that's right. It, the um. So I think that would be my what I would spend the money on. This is five thousand US, right? So yeah, it's yeah. Probably mm. about three and a half million Australian. So <laughs> that, so you could probably cover cover that. Um, yeah, I think that would be the. the I think this toy thing fully loaded was about three thousand hmm. dollars, maybe twenty five hundred, somewhere in there. I don't even remember. Hmm. I remember seeing it on the. I remember seeing the keynote when they announced it. Went, there it is. There's my new machine, and it was for sale. So I immediately ordered it. I found out the screen came off after I finished my order. Oh, wow! <laughs> I ordered fast. I, I think buying them in Australia, they're about four and a half thousand Australian. Okay, Australian. I don't yeah. know what the exchange is right now. Uh, Seventy six US cents. Okay. Not That's around the Cana- where the Canadian dollar is right now, too. Yeah, we're so. about parity with Canada. Pretty close there. Yeah. Well, I'm. I have my sights set on one of those, but not for a while. We got kids to put through college first. Yeah, yeah. And you, you do have the big Mac. Right? I have a wonderful MacBook, and I love it. I, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, at this particular moment, I'd wait for the next version of this. Yeah. I mean, this was October last year, right? So I mean, we are a good, you know, eight months in now. It can't be far away from a major yeah. rev. Yeah. And, you know, there's a case to be made for not buying V1 hardware. I've gotten off pretty lucky. Lots of people who had problems yeah. with the pro, with, with the book and with Mostly the Mostly around shutdown and hibernate. And that absolutely has happened to me, that I've thought I shut the machine down, put it in the bag, pull it out an hour later. It's smoking hot. I have the same problem with my MacBook, though. Yeah. So, it might be a Windows thing. I don't know. Yeah. I think it absolutely is a Windows thing, without a doubt. The other interesting thing, and you may notice in the contraption here, and here I am talking about what's going on in the space, is I have a second monitor plugged into my book. Mm. But 
Uh, and that's a, the Asus the 168B, which is a, a 1080p monitor mm-hmm. and uh, real light, thin, easy to carry around thing. Gives me a second monitor. Mm. I can't plug that monitor directly into the book and have it work. Mm-hmm. I think the book is not reading the profile properly. So what happens is the screen will turn on. It'll run for like 10 seconds and it'll shut off. It's a USB 3 monitor, It's a right? USB 3 monitor. This is a USB 3 port. Yeah. So... To make it work, I bought a USB 3 hub. Yeah. You know, we had the same problem with connects. Yeah. On some hubs because of the firmware in uh, USB, you know, USB firmware somewhere. Yeah. You had to use a hub on certain machines and on certain machines you didn't. This is my guess. It's power. It's power management. Yeah. So, we've had this conversation. Yeah. Maybe that, not on the show, that but the USB, yeah, maybe we haven't done it on the show that the USB three has a power management option. And so it's turning down the power and that cuts out the monitor. So by plugging it through a USB hub, which by all accounts means I need more power, the fact that the firmware on the computer says, oh, that's a hub, I must give it full power all Mm. of the time. And then the hub is just not smart enough to power anything down, so it's passing full power along to the the screen. What I have noticed is if I plug enough stuff into that hub, the screen still will cut out. And sorry, Damien, we didn't need to turn this show into debug Richard's power problem. But um, one of the things that we did work with the Connect is putting the PC in high performance mode. Interesting, yeah. And that made the difference between, uh, you know. Whether power kept it on or not. Whether it worked or not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, it gets back to their power manager problems. Yeah. Without a doubt. Maybe there's too many options. I don't maybe maybe I'm sh- just trying to talk him out of buying a book. Maybe. <laughs> That's what I really want is you <laughs> take your five grand, wait a couple of months, there'll be new hardware. Right. Yep. So let's dig into some of the new newer features that yeah. we can uh, talk about. Absolutely. So kind of beyond all of those rewrites that I spoke about, um, we, we rewrote the comms as well as the orchestration code. So we did it. It took about eight months. So... V3 was about eight months in dev. Is it a com- almost a complete rewrite then? It's very much a, a rewrite, yeah. Wow. We we did a, with the database stuff, we did a similar thing to what Jeremy Miller did, I think, with Postgres, um, mm. a, a tool called Martin. Yeah, we just right. had it on the show. Yeah, right. so we're, we're actually doing um, a similar thing to that where we are treating SQL Server a bit like a document database. Mm-hmm. We do very little, um, you know, indexes and foreign keys and things like that. We we more or less have, and there's a blog post on this as well, but we more or less have columns set up in the tables that we are going to query on, and then mm. there's a JSON blob at the end. Um, and okay. so, we have our own tool to, to more or less have an ORM to, to talk to SQL as if it's a document database. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, that will probably get open sourced at some point, um, but not quite at the moment. Hmm. Yeah. As long as it's not XML, I'm happy. Yeah, no, it's XML wrapped in, wrapped in JSON, right? What could Just go wrong? Yeah, what could go wrong? So, <laughs> so some of the other things we did as well, a part of the um, communications is we added delta compression. So, a lot of people have a website that has, you know, 100 or 200 meg of content, mm. but they will change three static files. Mm. So, rather than sending those, that 100 or 200 file. meg. Yeah. Just the changes. It's just the changes. But it does it using, I didn't write this code. I've looked at the code and I assume there's some magic in there because it just works out what the difference in the compressed packages is and sends that difference. So, the Wise installer for Windows desktop apps long, long time ago long did time that. Ago, yeah. They did that. They figured out, you know, how to just get all the binary, the changes in the binary, basically, and they patched them. Yeah. It's it, crazy. It's amazing. Yeah. It was in NuGet, it's like install package magic. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so that, that's improved a lot of things for a lot of people. Um, Great. We added SSH targets so we can deploy to Linux um, nice. machines now. Uh, a lot of support, a better support for Azure as well. And we actually changed direction at some point um, mm. after 3.0 about how we were doing Azure, but we're, we're happy with the way it's going at the moment. Are you Are you keeping up with all of their innovations like functions for example and all all of this stuff i mean those are just announced so i mean how would you but but you know do you try to keep up with what they're doing it must be hard it is hard yeah we we do keep up with a lot of that stuff um as much as possible we we always have to make a decision about when something is likely to be used yeah uh and then there's things like um aspnet core for example where they they change direction and so Mm. we can provide support but it might change in the next rc so yeah i mean we've 
we've talked to them about this is like those betas were alphas. They were every one of them was a major breaking change. Right. It feels like the RCs are betas where now they're actually finalizing the feature set, making things work the way they intend for them to work. Like now I'm starting to believe they're, they're there. The problem is if you wait for general release, and I think this is true of the Azure stuff as well, you're too late. Yeah. You've got to sort of pick that moment where it's like, it's mature enough. It's clearly important. There's enough people around it. Now we could start working on it. You're mm. not, you got to be late to the game. That's right. Yeah. And there are some things in the products that we haven't really advertised yet. Um, so we do have some support for things like the app settings.json mm -hmm. um, is now just something we can deal with out mm -hmm. of the box, mm -hmm. but we don't advertise that just in case it changes again. But I think RC2 is going to be the point where we will say, okay, we have officially got support for it and yeah. that's the way we will deal with it is the is the way that that happens we've got a lot of questions as well about about um service fabric is it right yeah, um, yeah. and that's one of the things that again we're exploring it um but we don't know how it's going to be used what people actually want to do with it right um so that with these things we try to put them in the product when they make sense to put in the product. See, right. the problem here is you're trying to be an honest company. You could have just said <laughs> yes and made a call to Service Fabric and not do anything, and you use Service Product, you yeah, support yeah, Service yeah. Fabric. But to actually help customers, like nothing good's going to come of that, man. <laughs> right. Like you, you create grief for yourself. But sure. yeah, you're right. It's like you can't be out the gate with it. You know, and it, and part of this is they're almost looking to you for guidance. How right. should I deploy to Service Fabric? Or how should I use it in the first place? Yeah. Yeah, and that that is a hard problem. We we get the question a lot about things like Docker as well. Sure. You know, do you support Docker? And our response is, what are you trying to do? Yes. And I say, oh, we're trying to uh, Docker. You know, do yeah. you, do you <laughs> I got this squirt bottle with a label on it that says Docker, and I'm about to squirt it on my developers. Things are going to be okay, right? But it, but it isn't too hard to see what people want to do with Docker. They want to they want to spin them up. You know, they. That's right. Th and, but there are some logistic questions about what Octopus does in that scenario. Right, are, sure. are we a repository for Docker images or are we just calling out to the existing Docker stuff to do, to do these deployments and create, uh, create new instances and things like that? Well, now, what about Chef, Puppet, these kinds of things? Do, do you have integrations with those? We, so the integration story with Octopus, we do have plugins for things, uh, mainly build servers. So Team yeah. City, um, recently VSTS or the new team build mm. stuff, Visual Studio Team Services. Um, so the hosted TFS. Uh, we don't have so many with, uh, Chef and Puppet, but Octopus is an API first application. Right. So every single thing you can do with the UI, you can do with the API. Right. And ultimately the UI is just an Angular app that calls the, API sure. anyway. So, and you, I mean, you guys come at this from a .NET perspective too, right? So you've really not thought or worried about running outside of Windows or outside of the .NET framework. Like mm. that's your focus. I mean, Chef comes from the Linux Java world. Yeah. They've come to .NET. And the same was true of Docker, right? Mm. Like we, the, 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 the Azure Container Service for uh, just went GA. That's Docker, but that's not Windows. Right. Right. That's Mesosphere or Docker OS. Like mm. it's really, it's not for us as .NET developers yet. It's right. for folks that are running, running container solutions and want another option. But the world is merging. Yeah. So, you know, in a very conceivable that we've got projects where we have .NET developers working and we have Linux developers sure. working and, and we've got stuff going in Docker and it all has to work together in the end. Which begs the question, like, you guys are going to go in and start working with with ASP.NET Core. We are, yeah. You know, at some point, we're coming on RC2, at some point that's going to go GA for Windows. Mm. And then they're going to be putting out an OSX version and a Linux version. Mm. Like, what does that mean for Octopus Deploy when I suddenly turn to you and say, hey, I'm using .NET, I'm using Core, but I'm going to be deploying to Linux. Yeah, and that is something that we've started looking at a lot more lately so I, I mentioned we're on 3.3.7 or something like that right with 3.3 we added a lot of support for non.net developers so right. we added ssh targets in 3.0 right. but that was just a target for dropping files on a location and mm. doing things like running bash scripts um, mm -hmm. instead of powershell mm. but it only got you some of the way we were still dependent on nuget and if you tell a java developer who's working in a linux environment to package their application using nuget Mm. <laughs> They're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you want me to do what? Are you With crazy? Who? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. You so, did where? So, so we added some support for uh, just zip 
packages yeah. um, instead of just NuGet and as well as that, uh, tar balls and tar gzips yeah. and things like that. Right. All the package management tools for Java. That's right. And we're, we're very closely following .NET Core. Um, yeah. And as soon as we can, so that the SSH target still has a dependency on mono running. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's mainly, it's due to a few things, but mainly due to a dependency on NuGet that we had. Right. Mm-hmm. But as soon as we can move that target to .NET Core, then we don't have a dependency on mono anymore. Mm. And we can just use SSH to push, um, you know, to push zip, sorry, not zip files, but targi zip files, for example, to a Linux target and run .NET Core stuff natively with packaged um, runtimes. Interesting. Well, it all is sort of merging, isn't it? I mean, mono is now open source and uh, the .NET Core used parts of mono and vice versa, I think. And there, you know, it's it's all sort of looking like it's going to one place. And the other thing that was interesting out of Build is, uh, whether it was Build or just before Build, is uh, SQL Server on Linux. Yes, yeah. that was before. That was before Build, yeah. yeah. And that's fascinating for us because we, you know, people have said, is, is Octopus ever going to run on something other than a Windows server? Mm. And the answer was, well, no, probably not, not really. And then yeah. all but of a sudden. All of a sudden, now <laughs> maybe we can. Right? Yeah. Yeah, so it makes it does make things interesting, um, mm-hmm. and so we are kind of opening up to the non.net, and that's a hard battle to have. I mean, they have their tools that they use already. Yep. Sure, um, yeah, you have to support them. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. the other thing that came out of build was Bash on Windows. Right. Right, and it's sort of like, oh, you have a new way you could be testing your Bash stuff, your SSH stuff, although it's a limited, you know, utility set at this particular moment. Yeah, exactly. And when you have a script step or some scripts that run as part of a deployment in Octopus, you can choose to do it with PowerShell, Script CS, or Bash. Right. Mm. But if you're doing Bash, then we assume you're going to Linux. And right. if you're doing PowerShell, we assume you're going to Windows. Right. So I think, I don't know. That's suddenly an unsafe assumption. It seems totally sane. <laughs> and then those guys made Bash run on Windows. You're like, what? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that just means we have to change the if statement, right? Yes. Yeah. I just, you know, we, we ought to have some friends in the, in the, who have their foot in the Linux community, mm-hmm. uh, contact us. Cause we, we live in, an, we live in a bubble here, you know, in the Microsoft bubble. And I really want to know what the perception is among people who see what's going on with Microsoft that are in the Linux community. So if you're one of those people, we want to hear from you. Sure. Yeah. All right. So let's get back to the new features. Okay. So some of the other things we've added since 3.0, um, mm-hmm. we added, again, a better support for Azure. Um, we moved the tentacle to .NET 4.5. We added some reporting stuff. Um, the big, the other big release we did was with channels, um, which is... It came in 3.2. So, the idea of a channel is, you know, you'd have a development team who's writing the, the production version, V1 of your application, and they still need to make changes on V1. Right. But they're also developing V2. Sure. And V2 might have a, a different set of deployment steps and a different set of rules about where it goes to and how it gets deployed. Yeah. Yeah, maybe you change your data store, right? Like, that would happen. Exactly right. So, channels gives you the ability to... Uh, deploy differently depending on different channels of your code. So Got it. It's just another context, if you will, right? It is. Um, we, we named it channels rather than branches because there's yeah. a confusion with the source control. Sure. That's often how it happens. People will have a different branch mm-hmm. and they'll deploy that branch. But um, it gives you the ability to have your own streams. Um, some of the other things that that enables is things like hotfixes. So, you may have a lifecycle right. that has dev, test, QA, staging, production, mm-hmm. but production goes wrong and you need to push out a change straight away. Right. If your deployment process takes 10 minutes, then you've got to go through all of those environments before you get to production. That's a long time that you could be out. Yeah. Sure. So, you could have a different channel with a different lifecycle, which is push it to, I don't know, QA or, or to staging and or, then push it to production or and whatever. then backfill. Yeah. Somewhere further up along the chain. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, you can have the crazed and reckless channel that just goes directly to production. <laughs> exactly. <right>? Ludicrous channel. <laughs> Ludicrous channel. <laughs> I'm willing to die. <laughs> um, so there's that, those are the main things that we've, we've changed. We did, mm. we've done a lot of little changes. And if you have a look at the, the release notes for all of our, um, different releases of Octopus, you yeah. can actually compare two versions and we have all of the, the major changes that, that happen between them. So there's a lot of th- little things like running steps from the server, um, 
you know, having script steps that come from packages so you can source control your actual script mm. steps as well. There are a lot of little things in there as well, but those are the majors. One thing that I, I, we purposely sort of glossed over, but I think we should go back and address and talk about a little bit is the idea of a tentacle. And, you know, is it a one-to-one for a deployment or do you have multiple tentacles for a deployment or what is a tentacle anyway? So, Tentacle is essentially an agent that runs on your target on-premises server. So, if you're pushing a, a website to Azure, you know, using Azure websites, you don't need an agent on Azure. We know how to talk to, to right. Azure. But if you're dropping, for example, your web application onto a web server and then setting it up with IIS, then you would have a Tentacle agent running on that web server. So, it basically does the anything that needs to be installed locally, it's going to do that on your behalf. Yes, that's right. It does do that. And there's a big advantage to doing that. It means that that agent can run as a local account, which means that all of the problems around having a service account that has the ability to, you know, to make changes to IIS on a server outside the DMZ, that that problem goes away. Um, Octopus Server communicates with the tentacles just using TLS or or SSL certificates. Mm Mm-hmm. So, that communication, really, you just need to open a port. And if your environment is so locked down that you can't even open a port, there's options as well. You can have a polling tentacle, which which hits the Octopus server to ask for tasks. Or you can even have offline deployments, which is something we introduced post 3.0 as well, where you can essentially have your deployment go to a folder and then copy that folder onto a USB key, for example, put it on the machine, run a single PowerShell script, and it will do your entire deployment for you. And a tentacle isn't one-to-one per deployment, right? Because you could have a tentacle on a SQL server and a tentacle on a web server. Absolutely, yeah. All as part of one deployment. We have the concept of roles with these target machines as well. So, you may have a database server and an app server and a a web server, for example. Mm. And in your production environment, that's split across all of these different servers. You might have five web servers. Sure. So, you'd have five tentacles and each of those tentacles would have the web server role. Mm. And any steps in your deployment process that needed to occur on the web server, you would scope them to the web server role. So, those steps would run on all of those five machines. And so, uh, that means that a, ten- a given tentacle on a given machine isn't all powerful. If I had one machine that had ran both the SQL server and the web application, I would run a tentacle for the web app and a tentacle for the SQL server? You could either do that or you could have the one tentacle which had the two roles. Both roles in both it. Both roles in it. Okay. And that's usually how they're set up. So, your test server may have one machine and it has the database server and app server and web server role. Mm-hmm. So, when you run the process in that environment... All of those steps run on the same machine, but when you run it in production, they're running on different machines. Now, I also want to clarify one thing you said earlier, which is, uh, or revisit, um, that you need to run Octopus Deploy on a local machine. Is there, but then you said you do have a package that you're putting in Azure, so it can all be in the cloud. Yes. So, just to clarify that, it needs to run on a Windows server, essentially. And we say Windows Server, but you could run it on a Windows 8 machine. It'll probably be fine. But it's a Windows service that runs and it will serve um, a web application, essentially, or a a REST API, essentially, from that server. So, you could have a VM running in Azure that has Octopus Deploy on it. And if I get a new customer and I need to make a configuration thing press a button and everything gets deployed in Azure, but still Octopus needs to run on a VM. Yes, Octopus needs to run on a VM. So, the idea behind the Azure Marketplace is simply that it spins up a VM yeah. for Octopus itself yeah. and it spins up uh, Azure C- uh, SQL Azure um, as well for the data storage. Yeah. And we even toyed a little bit with having a, a shared file system that wasn't just a file system on the server, but that turned out to be a bit of overkill. And what keeps you from getting away from the Windows service and just making a a service that runs in Azure? I think it's the the main thing. I I guess technically there's probably nothing stopping us from doing that Mm -hmm. apart from just the work that's required to do it. So, it it may be the case that we would do that one day. There are a few things that um, are under the covers with Octopus. So, for example, we don't depend on IAS at all. We we have a dependency on HTTP sys and we basically run Nancy on top of HTTP sys. Very cool. um, (laughs) Which means that it's essentially a self-hosted web endpoint um, that's running as a Windows service. Hmm. 
So we've considered rewriting a lot of that as well with um, the new web API stuff and a lot of the new .NET Core stuff should yeah. enable us to do that. Sure. Um, right. And it shouldn't be too much of a change, but I mean, it's, it is something we have to do. I don't think right now that that's a deal breaker for a lot of people. I mean, you know, we, we want to reduce the number of VMs that we're running, but we certainly, you know, it's something that's required. And it's not a, uh, it's not a particularly resource intensive nah. application unless you're doing a ton of deployments all the time. Right. We have people running single servers that are, that have, you know, hundreds or even thousands of projects that are running simultaneously with CI and CD, mm-hmm. you know, continuous integration, sin- continuous deployments right. with thousands of users and it copes. You probably need a dedicated server if you're doing it to that level. Right. Otherwise, no, most people run it on the same server as they have their TFS server. It doesn't sound like this is a computational intensive problem. It's more of a networking problem. You're just shifting a lot of stuff around. Right. And how many times, how many, you know, are we going to have 100 people making deployments around the clock? Well, the big thing for me when you get into the CI model is a guy checks in code, you use the deployment model to build the test servers, mm. which may be distributed because I've got, mm. you know, 10 hours worth of tests to do and I need to do them in 10 minutes. So I light up all these instances, which really means I'm just running deploy over and over and over again. So in that case, Octopus is, an, is more of just a general automation tool. Not just a deployment tool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you think of the scenario I just described to you, and That's I've great. done one like this without yeah. using Octopus, where we need to get the test speed way, way up. So mm. we made a hundred copies of our website in the cloud and then split the, the tests across all of them and rolled it back up. Great. So you run the entire deployment for that site a hundred times in a row. Yeah. Like bang, 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 as fast as we could go on that. Because mm. we, you know, the goal was entire test suite run 15 minutes with reports back to the, the, the devs. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, we keep thinking of deploy as these, these one time, right. once in a while things. But when it's this automated, you go, you know what? Give me a bunch of them. Like, let's yeah. go. You run it a lot. It should be called Octopus Automator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's all this automation. It's basically just an orchestrator. Yeah. Essentially, it just can do whatever you need it to do as right. part of your deployment process. So brilliant. Hmm. So, Damien, what's next? What's on your list? What's next? So, 3.4 is the next version that's going to come out. Um, we've learned that we don't give you a firm date because... Mm-hmm. You're you know, wrong. Because we're wrong. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, developers are liars when they talk about <laughs> um, So, the, the major things that are coming, um, multi-tenancy, yeah. so support for multi-tenancy. We actually, and this is part of the reason we don't promise these things, we, we kind of made a soft promise to release that with 3.3. Um, and we released a uh, request for comment about how we thought it was going to work and how we were going to do that multi-tenancy yeah. support. And it turned out we were wrong. Okay. So, a lot of people came back and said, yeah, I can see what you're doing, but that won't help our situation. All right. So, we went back to the drawing board and we did it again. But um, even if you have a multi-tenant database, can't a, a simple script do it or it it can the the issue we were having a lot of customers had you know 500 customers having the same application deployed to those customers and 10 of them had dedicated servers oh yeah and you know 20 of them wanted the latest release immediately and you know five of them wanted special treatment for these things and so on so really adding tenants as a first class citizen all right well that's very cool um anything else that we should be particularly excited about one one more thing which i'm i'm personally really excited is a bit better support for elastic environments and transient environments so uh things like being able to spin up and spin down servers on the fly Mm -hmm. um so a a lot of the time and you can do this currently with the api you just have to write a lot of your own code so if your load balancer decides you need one more web server then you can set up that web server, add Tentacle to it, and get Tentacle to register with Octopus. And then you can tell Octopus to deploy the latest version to that one Tentacle, but that's manual currently. Mm. Right. So, we're adding support for being able to have transient machines that when they come up, what do you want to do with that machine? Mm-hmm. Do you want to deploy all the things you need to deploy to it? Do you just want to deploy this project to it when it comes back up? Mm. Um, and alongside that, things like... Uh, transient machines that you can use uh, for desktop deployments and things like that. Great. So, you might have a fleet of 50 desktop servers. They're not always online. Mm. So, when they come back online, do you want to deploy mm. at that point? When they go offline, that's fine. Just leave it for several hours. Great. And suddenly, the the deployment service is in the critical path, right? This is how we automate scaling. 
And yeah, it's, it's a little right. scary. It's another thing to think about, right? It's like all of a sudden my IT guy really cares about this because how quickly that deployment server responds directly affects how well I, I scale the site. Exactly. And you could even have that as part of your deployment process if you're talking about the cattle not pets method. Right. You know, the ideal deployment mechanism might be spin up five new servers, deploy to those five new servers, um, make sure everything's okay, and then spin down the five old servers. Right. Mm. Uh, and that can be part of your deployment process now. Do you guys use Poly? No, we don't. I'm Do not, you know I, what it is? I don't know. Oh, we'll talk after the show. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to like Poly. Excellent. All right. Well, Damien Brady, thank you for spending this hour with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been great. Awesome. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a